Welcome to the Sikh Messenger podcast series brought to you by the network of Sikh organisations. Your hosts for the series are Gavleen, Hrabaksh and Hadeep. As this year's South Asian Heritage Month comes to a close, we're delighted to kick off the Network of Sikh Organisations podcast series by shining a light on some of the work of two of the most prolific and high-profile Sikh heritage organisations, namely the UK Punjab Heritage Association and Kashi House. Between them, they have been responsible for three landmark exhibitions and some of the most beautiful and detailed books on Sikh history and heritage. To find out more, we're joined on this occasion by one of the stalwarts of those two interconnected groups, Hrabaksh Grewal. Hrabaksh has been involved with both groups as a curator and editor, as well as a PR and media consultant for over a decade. So um, we're uh, uh, together today, myself, uh, Thavleen, and uh, we're here to interview Hrabaksh Grewal. Um, and um, Hrabaksh comes with a kind of interesting background in heritage, the heritage sector. Uh, but also uh, working in the political arena for a politician. So um, we're really grateful for his time and um, we look forward to finding out um, his favourite moments or experiences from uh, both the exhibitions and also later on we'll be discussing uh, the publishing arm Kashi House and his kind of work um, with them too. Um, so to begin with, I think um, uh, let, let's talk about the exhibitions. Yeah, take it um, take it away um yeah so um i went to one of your exhibitions and i thought they were really really interesting um is there any way you could just give us a brief overview about what each exhibition was about yeah hi Tavlin. um the first exhibition of the three we've done so far was in 2011 at the university of london's school of oriental and african studies and it was on a visual history, primarily, of the Golden Temple of Amritsar. And there was an accompanying book. So it was a historical look back um, using archival imagery, um, going back to the earliest known photograph of the shrine or the temple, mm -hmm. uh, but also looking at some of the pre-photographic um, era imagery that's um mainly um paintings um and also i very early eyewitness accounts were utilized as well alongside the imagery to really bring bring out um a sense of what the place used to be like okay uh, and then in 2014 we followed that up with something which was relevant to the our current times in the sense that it was um, the World War One centenary, global centenary. Mm -hmm. And so for that, we, as the UK Punjab Heritage Association, uh, we put together a, a large project, which um, at its heart had another exhibition at the same venue on the history of uh, the Indian Army, looking specifically at the Sikh contribution uh, in World War One. And then um, finally in 2018, um, our third exhibition at SOAS was looking at the um, quite dazzling and glorious history in some respects, um, but also looking at some of the people and the ordinary people as well, who belonged to or lived within uh, the empire, the Sikh empire, the short-lived Sikh empire. Uh, so that, that those are the three we've done. 
Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I remember going to the last one at SOAS and um, yeah, I found it surprisingly moving, um, actually. Um, so when you were putting together the exhibitions, was there anything when that you discovered along the way that you found particularly interesting or striking that perhaps you hadn't known about before? The first thing to say is that all these exhibitions, the lead curator is also the founding director of Kashi House um, mm -hmm. and he's uh, the projects director for the UK Punjab Heritage Association. His name is Paramjeet Singh. And so Paramjeet, under his tutelage and under his co-direction, you know, I've um, worked on all three, but he's the lead curator and it's, it's his knowledge and his passion that's driven us. And mm -hmm. I've been happy to um, join in and help alongside him in putting these three exhibitions together. Um, and so it's Paramjeet's research that has underpinned what we've done and it's his direction that's helped us, you know, shape these exhibitions. And the first, for the first exhibition, the thing that struck me when looking back at this ancient history of the Golden Temple as it used to be and the, the complex, the Rabasab and the complex that was built around it, that developed in the 18th and 19th centuries, under first the the missile era and then under Ranjit Singh, what struck me and what, what what the exhibition and the book really brought home for me was the notion of the bungas. The bungas were um, dwellings of uh, nobility, Sikh nobility. Various missiles had their bungas there, and also uh, places of religious learning belonging to different sects and or schools of thought, including not just religious thought, but science and, and logic and mathematics and all kinds of things. And so the, what we learned in making that exhibition was how important Amritsar was and Darbarsab was as a center of Sikh learning, culture, education, and spirituality. So, the second exhibition, what, what really struck me, um, I was uh, far more involved in the curation of that one alongside mm -hmm. Paramjeet and others. Um, uh, I think what struck me in doing that uh, and, and having to do most of the public relations and media work on that was just how many Indian Army uh, troops there were in World War I. Yeah. And what I, a phenomenally large percentage of them were actually Sikh. So, I mean, serving during the war, the Great War, in India and around the world, something like one and a half million uh, predominantly men served. Um, incidentally, I think about, I think I've read somewhere that something like 10,000 Indian nurses served in World War One, something not very well known, and also lots of doctors. But um, what, what struck me is out of that one and a half million, uh, and out of the actual combatants, the combatants who would make up the majority of that figure, something like 10% of those um, Indian Army soldiers were actually sick. And if you think that back then, as, as now, Sikhs made up something like 1% to 2% of the, the population of India, to realise that Sikhs made up 10% of the actual combatants in World War I of Indian Army soldiers is just phenomenal. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. So it must have been quite emotional almost to put these exhibitions together and be a part of them. Um, has there anything that's had um, a personal effect on you um, or anything that's kind of impacted your life? 
Wow. I mean, I think all of it has impacted my life. I think I've, I feel really lucky and privileged and uh, uh, to have been involved in uh, these projects and the books. I think it, it's um, these kind of, this kind of work is, is, uh, is more of a passion than uh, just a job. I mean, it just takes over your life in, in a good way. Yeah. Um, it's, I had an interest in sick history, otherwise I wouldn't have fallen into this work. And it, it kind of, um, it just, um, it, it fed upon my interest in sick history, but then the work and the knowledge that I was exposed to, the history I was exposed to, then made me even more passionate about this history. So how important do you think that these events have been in shaping modern Sikh culture? Um, um, that's a really good question. I think what's happened since 1999 and the tercentenary of the founding of the Khalsa um, has been in the West certainly a kind of renaissance in interest in Sikh history. Um, there's been a coming together across the West, uh, the Western diaspora of people interested in learning more about where they are, where they came from and what their history actually is. I, th I think the exhibitions in particular have become um, must-see go-to events for uh, Sikhs in Britain certainly. Um, and they, they've gathered a lot of international coverage as well. <clears throat> and I think we've, we've filled a, a gap in the market that others didn't realise existed. Uh, and, and Sikhs are very passionate um, about their history. And if you present it to them, especially in a professional, well-curated, properly researched um, manner, they will come. And I think... I, th I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we've had we've had a, a, an impact, but that impact is based based ultimately on the history itself and in showing due reverence to the history and those who made it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, especially going to the exhibition on the Empire of the Sikhs, actually, neither me nor any of my family had seen anything like it before, and it is a huge part of our culture that just isn't publicised in the same way that elements of other cultures are. Um, so yeah, I think they're really, really important. Um, what, what are your thoughts about the place for Sikh history in the school curriculum? For me, uh, <clears throat> this has always been a kind of something that's always kind of played on my mind. And I think it's more about uh, South Asian history and Black and Asian history <clears throat> being properly <clears throat> being properly uh, addressed and looked at alongside British history, and the two converge under this word that people don't really haven't really we haven't really explored. I don't think fully in terms of the curriculum, and that word is empire. Yeah. But it seems to be now long last that people are beginning to understand that this has to happen because we're a multicultural, multi-faith country. Britain seems to have not really um, come to terms with empire and how to address it. And I think that's yeah. immature of yeah. us as a, as a, as a nation. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's when I first started getting active in Sikh history and all of this world, I remember we used to, I used to attend the Commonwealth Memorial Gates ceremony 
um, which marks, which is held just off, is it Hyde Park Corner? That, that memorial was only created around about the year 2000, 2002, or something like that. Mm. And only thanks to heavy lobbying by certain individuals, it, it's almost an after, it is an afterthought. Uh, black and Asian soldiers who fought in both world wars. Now, until that memorial was um, lobbied for and created, there was nothing in London, I don't think, of any significance to remember them. Uh, and yet you have enormous memorials all across London to uh, Canadians, New Zealanders, Canad uh, South Africans, I think as well, I'm not sure. But we, it's been omitted and we have been, black and Asian people have been omitted from um, the narrative and that has to be changed. Yeah, and I think there is at the moment a big push towards making colonialism more talked about and educating everyone more on the empire. So hopefully we will see a change and actually Sikh history will become a much bigger part of people's lives than before. Fingers crossed. Um, anyway, yeah, thank you so much for a brilliant answer. That's a, yeah. um, a great series of questions. Um, and get and, and for me, anyway for me i've got a you know much better understanding of um you know the kind of drivers and motivators that that you have her abduction in the work that you're doing um and how this kind of work in in many ways is something that was it, it sounds like intrinsically part of you in the first place that kind of desire and hunger to um learn more about history and cultivate that and let other people know about it so um what I, I guess what I'm going to do is going to follow on from Tavleen, but I want to focus on Kashi House a bit and talk about some of the books that they've produced and books that that you've been involved with, but other books that um, uh, other books as well. And I mean, maybe a, a good place to start is um, 1984 India's Guilty Secret by Pav Singh, because I know that's something that our, our charity launched in the House of Lords in 2017. Um, and many moons ago, I remember meeting you and Pav with Palmjit in Starbucks for a caramel frappuccino or something um, when the project was in its infancy. Um, I just want to ask you what was what the journey was like from that initial first meeting through to publication and how does a publisher tackle the enormity of a subject like 1984 and do it justice? Um, good question. So I think how do you do it justice? Well, first of all, it's the author's responsibility to bring you <clears throat> um, a manuscript that's, um, that's workable, that's got uh, the salient facts in it. You have to assess that and judge it and critique it. And then, so, and then that becomes part of the journey that you've asked about. So Pav came to us with years and years of research that he's been doing on this subject. He, it's close to his heart, it's close to his own family's experiences of 1984 in Delhi. Uh, and I know he's been campaigning on it, campaigning on it for many years. Um, so the journey is, it can, I mean, it, it can be quite arduous in some respects because it's a very murky subject. There's a lot of data. We had to work with PAV to decide what to keep in and what to keep out and also how to organize the book we worked quite hard with him on uh, shaping the, the narrative the structure of the book so th there's there's a there's a there's a it's a team effort where we had three of us in Kashi house uh, 
um, as editors and we have an author and there's a lot of toing and froing and thinking and brainstorming and I seem to remember helping devise a relatively simple structure for a very complex subject uh, okay. and because I've done so much work I mean it, he needed help in organizing his thoughts so I mean, it's quite it's quite tough work but it's it's very very rewarding work yeah and, and from what you say it sounds you know totally involving and all-consuming um, but it's a clearly a very important contribution towards the literature for that um, subject um, and there's very sort of few books about it so um, and I know it's been very well received by a lot of people um, within the community and outside the Sikh community as well um, and I guess that the next book um, is something that really kind of made waves when it first came out I, I was lucky to have one of the original versions of Warrior Saints um, I think it was in the late 1990s correct me if I'm wrong when the the initial edition came out and um, but you know many Sikhs today would you know like to think they're warriors but in reality they're not in the literal sense for me for me this book helped me get a bit closer to understanding that martial tradition um, and helped me sort of take steps towards fathoming the essence of you know Sun Sabai um, which essentially ensured survival in the face of insurmountable odds and in fact I, I remember one of the flyers for the book um, at the time which quoted by Gradas, which uh, um, translated to to protect an orchard hedge um, you line it with thorny trees or something along those lines um, I I, um, I was just wondering and for me um, part of you know one of one of the most striking images is the image of the in the hung bodyguard serving in the Nizam of Hyderabad's irregular army so I think it's in the cover of the sort of the, the current edition um, he's armed to the teeth he's looking straight at the camera and he exudes this all this air of belligerence um, are there any images that stand out in your mind and if so why um, that's a great great question and great points Hadeep um, that image is so striking that it actually as you said adorns the new um, volume one of Warrior Saints which we put out in 2013 I think and, and, and rightly so I think that's probably the most striking image and I think Paramjeet who discovered that image um, with some colleagues many many years ago in an archive I think in London um, would would tell you that that is probably the most one of the most striking portraits in photography in the history of photography I think he's probably right in saying that there is there is there, there are so many so many captivating images in volume one starting with early paintings and portraits of um, even the gurus themselves, including one of a very young Guru Gobind Singh um, as a young man without a full beard. Um, that, that for me is, is quite mind blowing to be able to find an image like that. And again, you know, we have to pay credit to um, the co-author and uh, of the book, uh, Paramjit Singh, who is a demon researcher, who spent his life looking for these kinds of images. Um, images that were set sat in archives around the world, often mislabeled or misunderstood. So, I mean, I think those early portraits of the gurus, which are in volume one, are, are astounding. There's an early uh, portrait of uh, Ranjit Singh as a young man. Again, we don't think of Ranjit Singh as a young man with a, with a small black beard and a small um, dastar. Completely different to the later, later images we, we know of. 
there are some astounding images of Nihang Singh warriors, portraits and photographs again. Um, and one of my uh, favourites, actually, uh, sorry. And just to pick your brains on that, um, for, for people who, who may not know, um, Nahung is derived from the Persian word for crocodile, is that right? Yeah, uh, I believe it's, it's to indicate um, just how ferocious they were and how ferocious they viewed themselves. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's fascinating. Um, well, look, I mean, that, I mean, the, I've got one more question for you, um, and that's probably um, a book that um, more, most people are familiar with that uh, came out in 2017, I believe, The Tartan Turban in Search of Alexander Gardner by John Kay. Um, it was one of The Guardian's best books of 2017, so it's kind of received widespread accolade. Um, and I'm reading um, sort of a quote verbatim from um, The Scotsman by Alan Massey. Um, and he says, the narrative never flags. It's a masterly account of an extraordinary life in extraordinary time and place, utterly entrancing. Um, I mean, it, it's remarkable to learn about Alexandra Gardner's adventures. I mean, I going to mention this earlier. He's a, a white man who's gone native in Central Asia. Um, and the narrative is swashbuckling, to say the least. Um, what's your favourite part of Gardner's story? Um, in particular, I guess how it intersects with the history of the Sikh Empire and are there any lessons um, to learn from this story today? Um, I, do, I mean as you know having read the book it's 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 epic it's it it reads like a film it feel it, it, I mean and, it, and there are separate parts to it just the first half of the book which um, talks about his journey his literal journey um, from uh, the Midwest of America via, I think, Russia across into uh, Central Asia, he becomes probably, as far as anyone's aware, the first um, explorer of, from a Western perspective, of lands which still today remain fairly unknown and remote in, across Central Asia. He, he is, as we described him, um, the accidental explorer and that in itself would make an incredible film but then as you as you mentioned he become can we ask you who who would um depict alexandra gardner is there someone you've got in mind <laughs> I'm, I'm not i'm not well i'm not well versed enough in movies um i think at one point we, we were jokingly thinking of a, a certain scottish actor whose name fails me right now especially okay. given you know, uh, Gardner's alleged Scottish and or Irish ancestry and uh, you know as the book title indicates I mean he was very proud of this uh, ancestry you know going back to the Highlands and war in his later years tartan suits and tartan turbans yeah um, so th I mean but when he gets when he becomes part of the Sikh Empire having come there via Afghanistan um, that that is just um, just revelatory and eye eye opening and shocking, um, because he he he's left his own accounts, which are you know incorporated in this book by John Kay, which is a tour de force by John Kay, by the way, who is you know world famous for his books on India and South Asia, but also on Scotland. So it was the perfect book for a man who is one of the world's greatest popular historians. And we thank him for, you know, joining hands with us to make this book and make it such a success. 
but I think those the, his his eyewitness accounts and his journey through the Sikh Empire, serving as a artillery officer under Ranjit Singh, and then seeing the the capitulation, the demise, the implosion of the Sikh Empire after Ranjit Singh's death, and culminating in the two Anglo-Sikh wars, is is kind of crucial evidence of things that we all kind of vaguely know about, but we haven't fully read enough about, or if we read, sometimes we, we get confused by the, de the detail. I mean, it's, it's it, that, that is really worth, you know, uh, spending time to, to read again and again and enjoy for me. Enjoy maybe into the wrong word because it is a quite a tragic period, but yeah. And of course, yeah, well, it, you know, the bloodletting, the, the kind of demise of the empire after Ranjit Singh's death is, you know, is a tragedy in itself and the betrayal from within, um, especially during the sort of the second Anglo-Sikh war. And I, I yeah. think this is what, you know, Kashi House, you know, have essentially done. They've, they've looked at these sort of seminal years in history, be it 1984, be it, you know, 1857, the Sepoy Mutiny, um, be it the kind of the, the rise and fall of the, the Sikh empires. And they've brought this story um, to to us to the sort of the next generation of Sikhs and others um, and, and and as you say it's prior to you know all all of these books coming out my my knowledge in this period in history was sketchy to say the least um, and it's it's great that we've got this sort of resource of of fantastic books to be able to kind of um, help um, pass on that history to others and it must be great to be you know part of that team and part of a group of um, innovative and um you know future forward-looking seeks to 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 do this work so you know we we thank you for for you know your your contribution you're not the kind of guy that likes the the limelight you're not you know in the forefront of things but you're someone that works quietly behind the scenes you know um so and i think you know Devali and i have enjoyed interviewing you i don't know if you've got any more questions yeah, it's for her absolute pleasure i think of the things that i wanted to ask I have done and your answers are brilliant and it has been really interesting so thank you very much that's great well we're going to end the interview now and um you want to, any last words for Baksh? yeah thank you very much for saying all of that Hadeep uh, I think the the point to make is that uh, none of this happens without passion none of this happens without a team and, and none of this happens actually sadly without funding so um people may want to uh enjoy these books come to the exhibitions um but in, unless they are willing to actually buy the books um and and, and support the endeavors um these things will are, are unsustainable without without community support so as much as we like to give we also frankly need people's support so um if you enjoy the work please go out and buy the books well um we, we can I think that you do you want to give us a, a the, the URL for the website? It's it's kashihouse.com. Thanks ever okay. so much. Yeah, thank you.